Well, as I mentioned before, my name is Steve Blummer. I'm the pastor of family and adults here. And thankfully, I get to speak again after last week. If you listened to last week's message, it was, it was a little tense, wasn't it, right? It was a little weighty. It was heavy as we talked about uh, the, the deep demand for judgment on our sin and the, the price, the high price for redemption. Uh, the good thing about that message is that we got to talk about how God loves us and sent his one and only son for our salvation. It's not just a great story to tell or to hear. It's the most important event in Christianity. It's the gospel. It's the good news that we are to proclaim to every person in the world. And I'm still praying for those in this church and those within our region to accept that message of salvation for their lives. And I know you are as well. Well, this week we get to talk about the Red Sea delivery where Moses parts the waters, amazing story, one of the most recognized stories in the Bible, perhaps outside of David and Goliath or the birth of Jesus, is Moses parting the Red Sea. It definitely seems to be more uplifting than last week's message of the firstborn son of every family dying. There is a mass killing in this story, but somehow it seems to be okay, I guess, because it's the bad guys. So God ends up destroying the enemies, the Egyptians. He, he destroys their system of idol worship, and now he is going to destroy their uh, military power. God knew that even though the uh, Egyptians and Pharaoh said, get out of the country, leave, they were not really going to let them go. And so God worked it out to where he was going to take care of their enemy. In a sense, God is simply releasing his hands on the evil that lies within the Egyptians and they would destroy themselves. We get a sense of how this works in the New Testament in Romans chapter 1 where the Apostle Paul, you don't have to look it up now, but I do encourage you to write it down and check it out later in Romans chapter 1 verse 28. It says, and because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a worthless mind, a depraved mind, the reprobate mind, to do what is morally wrong. God delivered them over to what was already inside of them. They are filled with all unrighteousness, evil, greed, and wickedness. They are full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, and malice. They are gossip, slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, eventers of evil, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. Although they know full well God's just sentence that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but even applaud others who practice them. Now, this just shows what we were talking about last week, the horror of humanity's sinful nature. We can hear stories on the news and just wonder, how in the world could people do that to one another? And it's really only because of God that more people aren't like that. That's called common grace. Not only does God allow the good rain to pour on both the good and the evil in this world, but God shields us from our sin's full potential or we would completely destroy ourselves. And God is simply releasing his hands of protection as we're going to see today. So let's jump into this story. This is found in Exodus chapter 13, starting in verse 17. If you're using the Bibles in front of you, this is on page 57. Starting in verse 
17 of chapter 13 all the way through chapter 15 is this story. For the sake of time today, we're not going to read chapter 15. Chapter 15 are the songs of Israel. They're, they're rejoicing and proclaiming what God has done for them through these events. And uh, it would really be nice to have an entire message about worship. Why do we sing in church? Why does God want us to sing songs to him when we're at home and so forth? And we're just not going to get to that today. There's just so much to say, so much to explore. So let's jump into it. Exodus chapter 13, starting in verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them along the road to the land of the Philistines, even though it was nearby. I encourage you to underline that. For God said the people will change their minds and return to Egypt if they face war. So he led the people around toward the Red Sea along the road of the wilderness. And the Israelites left the land of Egypt in battle formation. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the Israelites swear a solemn oath saying, God will certainly come to your aid. Then you will make my bones, take my bones with you from this place. They set out from Succoth and camped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. The Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to lead them on their way during the day and in a pillar of fire to give them light at night so that they could travel day or night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night never left its place in front of the people. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and camp in front of Pi-Haharoth between Migdal and the sea. You must camp in front of Baal Zephon, facing it by the sea. Pharaoh will say to the Israelites, They are wandering around the land in confusion. The wilderness has boxed them in. I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them. Then I will receive glory by means of Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about the people and said, What have we done? We have released Israel from serving us. So he got his chariot ready and took his troops with him. He took 600 of his best chariots and all the rest of the chariots of Egypt with officers in each one. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and he pursued the Israelites who were going out triumphantly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, his horsemen and his army, chased after them and caught up with them as they camped by the sea beside Pi-Haharoth in front of Baal-Zephon. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and saw the Egyptians coming after them. Then the Israelites were terrified and cried out to the Lord for help. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you took us to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Isn't this what we told you in Egypt? Leave us alone so that we may serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. But Moses said to the people, don't be afraid. Stand firm. See the Lord's salvation. He will provide for you today. For the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You must 
Be quiet. The Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to break camp. As for you, lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I am going to harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them and I will receive glory by means of Pharaoh, all his army and his chariots and horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I receive glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God who was going in front of the Israelite forces moved and went behind them. The pillar of cloud moved from in front of them and stood behind them. It came between the Egyptian and Israelite forces. The cloud was there in the darkness, yet it lit up the night. So neither group came near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The Lord drove the sea back with a powerful east wind all that night and turned the sea into dry land. So the waters were divided. And the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with the waters like a wall to them on the right and their left. The Egyptians set out in pursuit. All Pharaoh's horsemen, his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea after them. Then during the morning watch, the Lord looked down on the Egyptian forces from the pillar of fire and the cloud and threw them into confusion. He caused the chariot wheels to swerve and made them drive with difficulty. Let's get away from Israel, the Egyptians said, because the Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may come back on the Egyptians, on their chariots and horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak the sea returned to its normal depth. While the Egyptians were trying to escape from it, the Lord overthrew them in the sea. The waters came back and covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh. They had gone after them into the sea. None of them survived. But the Israelites had walked through the sea on dry ground with the waters like a wall to them on their right and their left. And that day the Lord saved Israel from the power of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. When Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and believed in him and in his servant Moses. Now, in this story and in many accounts in the Bible, we get a behind-the-scenes look about what God is doing and sometimes why God is doing that. Sometimes God shares that information with those who are actually experiencing it, and sometimes he doesn't. For example, in the book of Job, we have Job. um, There's the character, and he doesn't know that there's this dialogue between Satan and God. And Satan wants to test Job because he doesn't think that Job actually loves God, other than that God just blesses him and gives him everything. And God's saying, no, Job loves me purely, and, and you can test him to show that. Well, Job doesn't know that information. We get to know that information. In the book of Exodus, the Israelites, Moses, the Egyptians, Pharaoh, they get to know what God is doing, and sometimes they get to know even why God is doing it. So in a sense, there shouldn't be any surprises for Moses and the Israelites. But what I think we see happening, and we'll see continually in the book of Exodus, is this normal cycle of reaction of having spiritual highs and spiritual lows. 
this normal reaction of spiritual highs and spiritual lows. It's something that we all experience. And the truth is that whether you and I are given the knowledge of what God is doing or why God is doing it, whether we see the direct hand of God working in our lives or whether we wonder if God is even working at all, we fall into this normal cycle of reaction in our spiritual journey, having spiritual highs and having spiritual lows. We want to know what God is up to. God, what are you doing here? Why are you doing this? But even if God would answer you, you would still fall into this normal cycle of spiritual highs and spiritual lows because we see it with the Israelites over and over and over in the book of Exodus. So I want to spend some time exploring this normal cycle in our spiritual journey. What is it that you and I normally do? And then what is it that God does? And what is it that we should do? Okay, so you can look at your notes. What do we do? Here's how I kind of see it. There's a belief. There's a go with confidence. There's a follow God. There's a work hard. And then there's a life gets hard. Then we're overwhelmed. We waver in our faith. We feel defeated. We complain. We cry out. We question God. We withdraw. We sin. We regret. This is how I see a normal cycle of reaction in our spiritual journey. We see it in the Israelites, and I'm sure you see it in your own life. There may be some personal variations in your own cycle. There may be times where we're jumping back to believe very quickly in some situations, but there may be other situations where we find ourselves on the back end. We're trying to figure out how how can we get out of that part, and that's where we find ourselves almost stuck. And it would be encouraging for you to look at that list in your notes on the back of the handout and, and circle a phrase or two about where you think you are this morning. Where are you at in that cycle of reaction in your spiritual journey? Now, I don't want you to look at your neighbor and see what they circled. I don't want you to reach over and circle it for your spouse. And I know many of you just won't circle anything because you're afraid it's going to fall out of your Bible when you're getting a snack later and you're afraid someone's going to see what you circled. But I know the Holy Spirit is speaking to your spirit about what you need to circle. And you need to be honest with yourself about where you are at. If you can't be honest about where you are at, how can you be honest with yourselves about what you need to do to get back? I mean, if you're lost in the woods, but you won't admit it, how are you going to know or how are you going to find your way back? You're hoping by chance you're just going to stumble across the path. But that's not how it works. It may work once in a while, but you need to have a plan about how to get back to believe. So let's look at this cycle. Believe. Believe. There is a trust in God, a moment in your life where you believed, you trusted in God, you believe that God is real, you believe that God is good, you believe that he has a plan for your life, you believe that God is providing, you believe that God is protecting, you believe that God hears you, you believe that there is a way out of your situation, you believe that God is there making a difference in your life, you believe that he can forgive you, you believe, you believe in God, and that's where we want to be. That may not be the starting point in our spiritual journey. There's a lot of background history that even got us to that point. And we can see that in this story that we've been studying through the Exodus. There was a background story for them to believe where they are right now. And sometimes we have this spiritual high. 
when we get to retreats or camps or maybe there's a particular Sunday morning message that just impacts us or it's the time where we accepted Jesus Christ and, and this weight of sin lifted off our shoulders. We have this spiritual high. That's what they are experiencing here. We believe in God and there seems to be nothing that's going to stand in our way or waver our faith in God. In fact, we begin to go out with confidence. We're following God. We're working hard. We're doing whatever God wants us to do. Did you see that in the Israelites at the beginning of this passage? It said that they left Egypt in battle formation. They were ready for whatever came their way. They had this confidence about themselves walking out of Egypt, right? You can almost imagine them quoting scripture. If God is for us, who can be against us? It won't be you. It won't be you. It won't be you. God is for us. God's the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? I'm not afraid. It's you who needs to be afraid. We're coming for you next. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I will soar on wings of eagle. I will run and will not faint. I will walk and will not grow weary. God works all things for good to those who love him. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. You listening? You listening, Satan? You've got to resist me. And I'm telling you right now, you better get behind me because I'm coming after you. There is this confidence in their step. Life is good, right? God is good all the time. And all the time, you got it. They're following after God wherever he leads. They're going to go. If God says, I think I want you to go this way. They're going to go. And God said, no, I want you to go this way. They're going to go, okay, whatever, God. I'm going to follow you wherever you go. It doesn't matter. There's this complete confidence in God. They're spending time with God, reading his word, spending time in prayer with him. They're getting up early in the morning to spend time with God. And God knows how much you like your morning sleep. You're giving up your old habits of relieving stress. You told your golf buddies, I can't go to golf In the morning on Sundays, I've got to get to church. You begin to give back to God through your finances. You even signed up to help at Vacation Bible Spectacular. You're all in. Whatever God wants you to do, you're going to follow him. You're going to work hard for him. You're filled with confidence. But then life gets hard. Life gets hard. Perhaps you've got some temptations that came up and you're like, where'd that come from? I I thought we already dealt with that. Maybe you lose your job. Maybe your life is falling completely apart. Your kids, they don't want to listen to you. They they say, you're dumb. You, You don't even know what you're talking about. Your spouse thinks you're spending too much time with God. You got to give up some of that God stuff. You're serving God, but it seems exhausting. The path that you're on, it doesn't seem as exciting as you thought it would be. That path isn't smooth and nice. It's bumpy and rocky. And the sun's out and it's hot. And you're looking and it doesn't look like there's an end in sight. And you're thinking, things are going to get worse before they get better. And sure enough, things got worse. And you think... I just, need to, I just need to turn around and go back. But you can't go back because there's the enemy chasing you down. 
Satan's not going to let you go. Satan's not going to say, hey, I got a better plan. I'm going to offer you something even better. Satan's going to, I'm taking you down when I catch up to you. You think that I was tempting you and bothering you before you believed in God? I'm going to really mess you up now. Life gets hard, doesn't it? And now you find yourself overwhelmed. It just seems like it's too much. You waver in your faith. You feel defeated. You complain. You cry out to God. You you just push God back. You question Him. You withdraw. You don't want anything to do with other people. You sin. You regret. You, You say, I thought God was for me. Why did God take me down this direction? Doesn't He know that this is the longest way anyways? Maybe I just didn't hear God correctly. You know, that's what I do. I always mess things up. It's me. God, you shouldn't have trusted me. Or you know what? No, it it, it was Moses' fault. It was that pastor. That pastor told me that God loved me. He told me that God would forgive me of my sins. He told me that he had a plan for my life. He was wrong. He just took advantage of me in my vulnerable state. I should have never listened to him. I should have never went there. I'm never going back. None of it's true. And I thought God would not give me more than I can handle. Isn't that in the Bible? It's not in there. But we hit a spiritual low. We are on a spiritual high. Believe in God. Go with confidence. Follow him. Work hard. Crash. Like Pharaoh, in the midst of his sorrow, when we're in sorrow, we are prone to strike out and hurt other people. Like the Israelites, when they're tired and worn down, they are prone to give up. And you've been there. I've been there. The spiritual low. You're mean to people. You just want to give up. You waver in your faith. You cry out to God. Things are a mess. So the question is, how do we get out of the spiritual low? I'll tell you in just a few minutes. But I want to talk about the other side. What does God do? Because that's what we normally do in our cycle of reaction in our spiritual journey. We have these spiritual highs. We have these spiritual lows. What does God do? You can see in your notes I've got here, life gets hard, works in you. Life gets hard, guides you. Life gets hard, guards you. Life gets hard, listens to you. Life gets hard, works with you. Life gets hard. It's not that life is hard for God, but I'm just showing you that that God is there when your life is hard all the time. Did you notice at the beginning of this passage which path God chose for them? He took them on a path because he figured that if he took them on another path, through the Philistines' way, that they would feel defeated and would want to go back to Egypt. So he sent them the long way through the wilderness. Now, if this path is what people sometimes think towards the Philistines was also to the north through the land of Goshen that path would have been more familiar with them as well because that's the area in which the Israelites settled hundreds of years ago. So not only would this path have been the quickest, but it would have been something that they were familiar with. But God said, I don't want you to go that way. I know a better way. 
God didn't want them to fall or to fail. And God's going to take you on paths that you've never been before. You have no idea where you're going. It's all new and it's scary. And it's the wilderness. But why why does God do that? Because God knows that you're tired and you're beat down. He knows that you're experiencing sorrow. He knows that you're not mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually ready to take on another battle. Even though you feel, I can take on anything. God says, no, 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 you're not ready. I'm going to take you through the wilderness. Because in the wilderness, I'm restoring your soul. Get that? Even in the wilderness, God is restoring your soul. He knows the better way to go. It's during the wilderness experience that you begin to build confidence in God beyond just the mountaintop experiences. Having these spiritual highs at camps, retreats, and and certain events is great, but you have to build belief and confidence in God in the normal crappy day-to-day routine of life. You've got to figure out how to believe in God in the moments of those events. And God is leading them by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. See, God didn't just rescue them out of Egypt and say, head over there. When you get there, I'll be there waiting for you. God didn't say, I'm saving you from your sins. Let me know how things go. When I see you in heaven, I'll check in. God's guiding them every step of every minute of every day and every night. His guidance also guards us. Think about the pillar of cloud by day. A cloud in the sky in the desert, it's shielding the sun from its full effects. Is it still hot? Yeah, you're in a desert. But it could be worse. You could feel the full effects of sun on your, on your, on your skin. This pillar of fire at night, it, it guarded them from the cold, freezing temperatures. It also gave them a little night light in case they needed to go to the bathroom at night. And I don't know about you, but I had this weird random thought, uh, thinking about all of this, that God's with you day and night. As I was growing up, I had this weird theological thought that God has us go to sleep so that he doesn't have to deal with our problems. He doesn't want to deal with the whole world's problems all at the same time. So he has half the world go to sleep so he can deal with half the world. And then they go to sleep and he can come over here. And so when I woke up in the middle of the night and I started praying to God, I felt bad that I was asking God to come all the way over to my side and to deal with my problems because I couldn't sleep or I needed a glass of water or whatever. We have these weird theological thoughts. And I'm glad the Bible clears it up and says God is there with you in day and in night. The cloud and the fire, it guided them, it guarded them. It guarded them from the enemy that was coming from behind. It was guarding them, telling them where they needed to go. And at the moment that the enemy came, it switched and it guarded them from behind. Sometimes we can look at our situation and look all around and say, I'm trapped. We look forward, we see the sea, we look To the left of us, the right of us, there's mountains all around. We feel trapped. Why did God bring us to this point? I I, I want to show you something. 
I think we have the pictures up here. The first picture, if we have, Peggy. It's a, a, you see a little star there? You've got Egypt on the left, Saudi Arabia. There's the Sinai Peninsula, the, the Red Sea, and a couple of gulfs there. I'm going to highlight, you know, we don't know exactly where the Red Sea that they crossed from. We don't know where Pihahoroth and Bahazafan is. We don't even know where Mount Sinai and Mount Horeb is, where they met God. But I think, and some people smarter than me think, that it may be a good location where that star is. We can zoom in on the next photo. I want you to, to highlight something here. Right there at that spot. You see that sandy beach area there? That may have been the spot where hundreds of thousands, if not a couple million people, could have stayed on that beach. It's, it's pretty large. Now, you'll notice that there's mountains all around, and you'll also notice that there's a little path to get there. That could have been the path that the Israelites took. And you can see why they're so scared, because the path in and the only way path out is now blocked by the Egyptians coming. They see the sea in front of them. They have the mountains on both sides of them. And God's saying, you're exactly where I want you to be. Say, what? Uh, you're exactly where I want you to be. Because not only is this a great location for me to deliver you, but it's a great location for me to take down your enemy once and for all. You may have gone through a hard path to get there, and all of a sudden you find yourself trapped. And God says, that's exactly where I want you to be. I've had this whole thing planned out. So stop being overwhelmed. Stop wavering in your faith. Stop feeling defeated. Stop complaining. Stop crying out to me. Stop questioning me. Stop withdrawing. Stop sinning. Stop regretting that we even got here. And that's where we get to what should we do. What should you and I do? Here's your four main fill-in-the-blanks on that handout. I know you're ready to fill those out. Follow God. Be quiet. Keep moving. Rejoice. Follow God, be quiet, keep moving, rejoice. When the Israelites went into their panic mode, oh no, we're trapped, what do we do? God didn't swoop down and coddle them and say, it's going to be okay, princess. What's he say? Why are you crying out to me? Break camp. Get your staff. Let's go. Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't want to hear our cries. He doesn't care that we're just a bunch of crybabies. God wants to hear us cry out to him. We see in the book of Psalms, it's constantly filled with poems and songs of us crying out to God. Psalm 3, verse 4 says, I cry aloud to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. In the New Testament, it says, cast our cares upon him. It's like rubbish, Filthy bags of trash. Cast those on God because he cares for us. God cares about us. He wants to hear us. He listens to us. And I think there are times where we just can do nothing but to cry out to God. And there are other times where we need to pull ourselves together, knock it off, and get moving. Sometimes we are just so loud. Talking, 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 talking. Complaining, 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 complaining. We're just nonstop talking. And God's saying, Zip. would you be quiet? You know, sometimes my kids, will, they'll ask me a question. Dad, da, 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 And I'm like, I can't answer your question until you be quiet. 
Did you want to know the answer? Or is this a rhetorical question? And I think God at times is saying, would you please be quiet? Especially in the moments of desperation and emergency when we're just panicking, we're crying out, God, I need you. And he's saying, I'm here. I'm giving you direction. Be quiet. Listen, please. And God's saying, you need to follow me and we've got to get moving. The beginning of the journey, they're there following God, seeing the pillar of cloud at day and night. And all they had to do was look up and follow God. It's pretty easy following God when he's just a massive pillar of cloud and fire at night, right? It's, it's easy to follow God. They get to rest and camp at times, and it's enjoyable. But there are also moments when you just need to pack up your tent and get going. You can't say, oh, I'm going to stay inside my tent. It's safe in here. I can't see what's out there. Uh, let's get the fire going. Anybody bring some marshmallows? You've got to pack your stuff and get moving. God's saying, move forward. Keep moving forward. And you say, there's nowhere else to go. I can't keep moving forward. He says, move forward. I'm going to show you the path that I'm going to make. But you've got to get your stuff and get moving. And it's at that moment where we see how God has put all the pieces together. Oh, you were working out a plan in my life. We have this strong belief and confidence in God knowing he had a plan. He was putting it all together. I didn't need to worry. And you could be amazed at what God can do over and over and over again in your life if you would just simply follow him, be quiet, keep moving and then rejoice. The Israelites, they, they sang songs about how good God was to them, how he rescued them out of the Egyptians' hands, and how he, he delivered them through the Red Sea. They were renewed in their belief, renewed in their confidence. Life gets hard over and over and over again. And we're going to see in Exodus, life gets hard over and over and over for the Israelites. Will they fall into their normal cycle of spiritual highs and spiritual lows? Yep. Will you fall in your own cycle of spiritual highs and spiritual lows? Probably. But if you want to get out of the spiritual low, you've got to follow God, be quiet, listen to Him, keep moving forward, and then to rejoice. Rejoice about how God is working in your life, and I guarantee that you will see God working again and again, and again. Let's pray. God, we are amazed. One of how you even put up with us. God, we are a broken, sinful human people that can barely see half in front of us. We're trying to follow after you, but we get so distracted, so overwhelmed. There's times where we're super excited. We believe in you. Nothing can stop us. But then we get destroyed. We get tired. We get burnt out. God, we get overwhelmed. We question you. God, forgive us when we question whether you are good or whether you have a plan for our life. You call us your sons and daughters. You care for us. You're there with us, guarding us, guiding us and fighting our own battles. So God, we pray that you would help us to be quiet, 
quiet our minds and souls and hearts to where we just listen to you, to hear your directions, so that we can know that you want us to go, to move forward. God, I'm praying for those this morning that perhaps they're at a spiritual low. They've just hit rock bottom. They don't know how to get back or what, they can't even remember what it felt like to believe or to, to just to go out with such passion. And God, I pray that you would renew their belief in you this morning, that you would just restore them, encourage them this morning. For it's in your son's name that we're able to approach you, and we know that you hear us in Jesus' name.